Uh, we're going to be studying uh, Luke chapter 7, verse 18 through 35 tonight. We're going to tackle some verses here. I was thinking about this. Um, um, there was this comic strip once published in a newspaper that showed this fourth grade boy facing his teacher. And behind them was a blackboard, and covered on the blackboard were these math problems, and the boy hadn't finished any of it. And then the boy did not have a happy face in this, in this cartoon, and nor did the teacher. And the caption at the bottom of the cartoon was um, this boy saying to the teacher, I'm not an underachiever, you're an over-expector. <laughs> I like that. Because you know what? You and I, we can be over-expectors too, right? I mean, there's those times where our expectations, you know, they don't come to pass. They're unmet. They're, we get upset because of that. We're hurt or, we, or it brings doubt into our lives. And so with that in mind, tonight we're going to return to our study here in the book of Luke. And Jesus really deals with that subject, unmet expectations. And it's the unmet expectation of John the Baptist, the people, and the Pharisees. And so Jesus is going to show us how to deal with all this, how to deal with broken expectations. And that's the title of our message tonight, Broken Expectations. And again, we're going to be studying Luke chapter 7 uh, from verse 18 through 35. And our outline tonight is this, the disappointment, the questioning, and the cynicism. So three things going on here. So number one, let's begin with the disappointment. The disappointment. Now here, in this section, we're going to cover verse 18 through 23 if you're taking notes. But first of all, let's read the first three verses of our section, 18 through 20. It says here, The disciples of John reported all these things to him. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? So let's stop right here. We begin how the disciples of John the Baptist reported the things that were going on with Jesus, what Jesus was doing, his miracles, his preaching, and all of that that was going on. And you remember last week we saw I me mean, immediately in our minds as the centurion servant being healed and the widow's son being raised from the dead. But even throughout what we've been reading and been studying here, we've seen like Jesus heal countless people cast out demons, do miracles over and over and on top of his preaching here. So these disciples of John, the, they're the, the followers of John the Baptist, and that's who we're talking about here, uh, they, they went to John, told him what's going on. Then John the Baptist now, he sent two of his disciples back to Jesus to ask this question, are you the one who is to come? Now, that's interesting. I mean, why would he ask that question? I mean, in other words, John the, Baptist is saying, John the Baptist is saying, are you really the Messiah? Are you really the Son of God that was predicted to come, you know, in the Old Testament by the prophets? Or is that going to be someone else? Now, to me, I'm going, isn't this strange? I mean, this is John the Baptist, right? John the Baptist, the one who, who was there baptizing people, right? The forerunner, the, the, the one who, who, who was... Um, 
saw the Holy Spirit come down upon Jesus when he was baptized and a voice from the Father from heaven, you are my son, right? And he knows this is the Son of God. I mean, out of anyone, John the Baptist would surely know that this is Jesus, right? So why did John ask this question? Why did he, why was, did it speak, he speak with so much doubt there? You know why? Because of broken expectations. That's why. And, and, and it comes through these two things, and, and I forgot to give this to Jared guys to put on the screen, screen, but it comes through two ways, and one of them is the discouraging circumstances. So you can write that down, the discouraging circumstances. So why did John speak with such doubt? Because of broken expectations. And what was that? Number one was the discouraging circumstances. So let me give you a little background. Right now, John the Baptist is not out in the desert, in the wilderness, baptizing. You know where he at? He is in prison right now. Herod had thrown him in prison because John spoke out against him uh, committing adultery by marrying his brother's wife. So John was really vocal. John was bold, courageous, confronting sin. And Herod didn't like him. Probably his wife, this wife he had married, put him up to it. And so John is actually sitting in prison right now. So think about this. Here's this man of the desert, man of the wilderness. You know, grew up, basically grew up and lived there, right? He, 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 he's, he's, he loves the wide open spaces, open spaces. He likes to feel the wind on his face, right? The sky is, you know, his roof. But now he's in these four walls of a dungeon underground. So you can imagine, after all this time, and he's been there a year now, you can imagine John being discouraged at this moment. You can imagine his disappointment, you know, going on inside of him. So being stuck there like that, you know, uh, uh, after being this forerunner, you know, Pointing to Jesus and all of a sudden he ends up here. What, what is that? I mean, his life is not going good right now. So you can see him discouraged and disappointed. The disappointment here. So this is the discouraging circumstances he's in. But there's a second thing I want you to see. Why he was so, you know, speaking with so much doubt. What was another thing? Well, a broken expectations. Number two is the distorted perspective. The distorted perspective. And let me explain. Back then, it was common belief with the Jews that when the Messiah comes, the Messiah would come and conquer the enemies of the Jewish state, basically. And so right now, Rome is in control. Herod's a bad guy, too. He's like that governor, not a governor, but, you know, a a mayor of a certain area kind of thing. Uh, that Rome allowed him to have power over. And so the hope was that the Messiah would come, rescue the people from the oppression of the Romans and the evil people and get rid of all their enemies and what? Set up the kingdom on earth. Now, think about John. He's already all discouraged, right? He's already sitting in prison, and he's probably wondering, what's going on with Jesus? Yeah, What's going on? You know, what, what's happening? And then his disciples come and say, oh, you should see the miracles he's doing, miracles doing. But maybe in his mind he's like, what about conquering the Romans? What about taking care of the enemies? Because that was a common thinking that the Messiah would come and do that. And look, John is still in prison. Is he really the Messiah? Is he really the Son of God? I mean, wouldn't Jesus come and deliver him from Herod and get him out of prison? I mean, he's, he's the forerunner, right? So this disappointment 
broken expectation brought this great doubt. But it was because he had this distorted perspective on things. John the Baptist, right now he was at a point in his life where he was not so sure about Jesus because of these broken expectations. We understand that. That happens to us, right? We have expectations of people or even God or, 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 or our company or our family or kids and stuff. And then when it doesn't happen in a way we expect, oh, you know how that feels, right? And, and it could be discouraging, and especially if, if it's something we hope God would do, like John hoped Jesus would do, oh, that, that can be hurtful. We can get angry. We can get bitter. I mean, all kinds of things can happen when our expectations are not met. So that's John here. So that's why he sends his, his, his um, disciples, these servants, to go and ask, hey, are you the one or is there someone else? Should we expect someone else? To really come and do what we're expecting the Messiah to do. Well, look at verse 21 and 22 now. It says, In that hour, he, that's Jesus, healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And he, Jesus, answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. We'll stop there. So isn't this interesting? The servants, the disciples of John come, the ones who are attending to him. They come with John's question. Are you the one or is there someone else? Right? Well, how does Jesus answer? What's the first thing we read? He goes out and he goes out. He's, he's healing people of diseases and casting uh, demonic spirits out and the blind, he restoring the sight. So he does these miracles right in front of them. He doesn't, uh, think about that. He doesn't say anything. He just goes and does these miracles. And then he answers them. He says, go tell him what you just saw. Go tell him these miracles. Tell him the other things. Again, of what's happening. You know, lepers are healed and the dead are raised, raised again from the dead. So Jesus is basically saying, tell John the works that you see me doing. See, Jesus knows what John knows. John knows the prophecies of what the Messiah is supposed to do. And so Jesus is trying to remind John of those prophecies. For example, Isaiah 35, verse 5 and 6 says, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy, for waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. That, that, that's, that's a prophecy of what the Messiah would do when he comes. And then Isaiah 61, 1, the first part says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. And that's what Jesus said. Tell John how I'm preaching the good news. And so you see Jesus is saying, Hey, Tell John the works you see me doing, the healings, the miracles, the preaching of the good news and sharing the good news of salvation to remind John of what John knows what the Messiah is supposed to do. And then, look at verse 23. Jesus says, And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. 
So Jesus is basically saying, um, giving this message to John, you know, to get. But basically Jesus saying, he blesses that one, basically, who's not offended by how I work. In other words, who's not offended uh, by the way I do things, especially when it doesn't go the way you want it to go. Blessed is the one who trusts me, basically he's saying, even in broken expectations. I, I, I would say it like that. I would say, you know, translate verse 23 in my Rick's paraphrase Bible. Um, um, don't say it's heretical. Okay. Just this verse someday. No. <laughs> but you understand, right? Blessed is the one who trusts in me even in broken expectations. That's what Jesus is saying. You know, someone said expectations are like quicksand. Slowly but surely, they will take you down. <laughs> I think that's so true. I mean, we all have expectations. And, and when they don't come to pass and they're broken, oh, we, we, we get overwhelmed with that. And we drown in that, right? And that's where John is right now. He's, he's sinking in that quicksand of broken expectations. But Jesus is saying, look, you know what? How do you deal with this disappointment? The disappointment? You don't see me doing what you, you want me to do? Look more at what God is doing and not so much at what he's not doing. Do you see that? Look more at what God is, I'll emphasize that, doing, and not so much at what he's not doing. That, that, that's what we got we to gotta focus in on. That, that's what we, we have to do. Is, is look, at, look more at that. You know, that Jesus is doing things. It might not be what John thinks he should do completely, but if you focus in John and what he's doing, he's fulfilling the scripture. So notice Jesus didn't say, you know what, tell him I am the Messiah. Reassure him I am the one. Because Jesus wants him to look and see the works of God, to focus in on that and, and, and not be offended or, or stumble by what Jesus is not doing. So that means we trust in God and what he's doing no matter what. Right? It's, that, that's, that's really the idea here. Look more at what God is doing and not so much what he's not doing. And I think a lot of our expectations, right, they're, they're wrapped into what, what we want. Right? What we would like done. What we expect to happen. You know, sometimes um, uh, we go uh, maybe see a doctor, and then we're like, oh, I'm not sure. So we get, what, a second opinion, right? So you go to a different doctor and kind of get a, a, another view and see what they say. And, you know, there's not, nothing wrong with that, right, in doing that. But sometimes people do that because they want to go and find someone that would say what they want to hear. Sometimes they do that. I've seen that in counseling situations and situations I've talked to someone and then um, next thing I know pastor friend is saying hey you know so and so came and they told me they went to you and, and that you said this and so they came to me asking the same thing and, but I told them the same thing you know kind of thing and there's people who do that go from person to person to person whether it's a pastor or just finding a friend until they find someone that will say what they want to hear to validate what they want to do but that's not what we should do, right? We, we need to look more, okay, God, what, what do you want here? 
you know. And sometimes we're disappointed in what God is doing or what God wants us to do, but we got to look at more what God, you know, has, what He wants. It's not about what we want all the time, right? So to help us in those broken expectations and our disappointments, we got we got to look at more. Uh, we we got to look more at what God is doing and not so much at what He's not doing. So don't lose sight of what God has done. Sometimes we can be overwhelmed with issues and problems, but then I was thinking you could look though at what is 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 uh, uh, you know happening yeah more than anything what 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 blessings they are you know the good that that um, god has done already so let's keep an eye out for the that let us still trust god even when the pieces don't fit proverbs 3 5 and 6 says trust in the lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your path so when the disappointment comes look more at what god is doing and not so much at what he's not doing and that's what you do with those broken expectations let's go on now to the questioning number two the questioning Here we're going to be looking at verse 24 through 28. But first, verse 24 and 25, it says, And when John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts we'll stop right there now when jesus disciples left jesus turns now to the crowd and he wanted to make something very clear he wanted to make clear who john the baptist was so he puts this out now maybe some of the crowd are maybe wondering john the baptist he's in prison or right so but he wants to make it clear so he asks rhetorically basically what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind. In other words, when, when you went out to see John out there in the, the wilderness, what did you find? Did you find a reed shaken in the wind? That is talking about, did you see this man out there who is spineless and weak? Yeah. Who is, who is influenced by other people's opinions? Or did you find someone, he says in here, um, basically, when, what did you see? What did you go out to see then? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. He's, then he says, well, or, or did you see this guy with soft clothing? In other words, uh, expensive clothes, who, who is rich? No, you only find those guys in the court in places like that, in the palaces. We know John, right, came out with wearing what kind of clothes? Camel's hair, right? You know, rough, rugged man, you know, um, not, not rich, wealthy, soft clothes. So Jesus, or Jesus is saying John was not about gaining money or saying things just to please people. That's what he's saying. No one owned him but God. John was out there to speak for God. So he was just confirming this with the people. I, I remember how John boldly confronted the hypocritical Pharisees, right? In Matthew 7, Verse 7 8, he said, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. He was, he was straight up, straightforward with. 
the Pharisees there. So he wasn't some, some guy who just was playing to people and trying to please everybody to get money and all that. No, that's not, that's not who he was. Well, then Jesus goes on here in verse 26. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send you my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. So Jesus clears it up. And he says, what you, well, so what you see? A prophet, right? You guys saw a prophet. You all agree it's a prophet. But let me tell you, it, not just any prophet. He's more than a prophet. He is the prophet. That, that's what he's basically saying here when he says, uh, in verse 27, this is he of whom it is written. And this is Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. This is he who, who it is written. Behold, I will send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. So it, it's talking about the forerunner to the Messiah. That's what that scripture talks about. That's what the verse is talking about, this, this prophet that's going to come before the Messiah comes to make way of the Lord, to announce that the Messiah is coming. So Jesus is just affirming all that, saying, he's that guy. John is that forerunner that was prophesied. He is that prophet who came. And then Jesus says something interesting in verse 28. He's saying that among those born and women, none is greater than John. Well, Jesus is saying that, that John had the greatest position of all the prophets to be able to literally announce the Messiah, to point to the Messiah, when the Messiah literally came to the earth. Many prophets prophesied the Messiah coming, but here's John, who was actually there when the Messiah came, to actually say, there he is. So he has the greatest position in that way. He has basically the great honor and privilege to literally do this, to point, this is Jesus right over there. That's what Jesus is talking about. Interesting, then he says, Jesus says here in verse 8, Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. What is he saying there? Well, he's basically saying believers who experience the work of salvation, like in this life, is greater than John. What does he mean? Well, John died before Christ died on the cross. John was beheaded, if you remember the story, right? And so he would not experience what the disciples was experiencing see um he, he he later of course he's in heaven but you know he wouldn't experience those things and he didn't experience what we experience right so he has a great honor and privilege right to be there when the messiah came and to point to him and call out everyone to go to the messiah but he's the least in that afterwards the disciples, you and I today, Christians through all the ages, we've got to experience Jesus right here in our life. John experienced the privilege of being a forerunner to the Messiah, but it's nothing compared to having Jesus right here in our heart after you believe in the cross. That, that's the idea. John was, hey, Jesus is right there. You could point to him. You could see him, all that. But you guys, now we have the very presence of God in 
our hearts. That's what Jesus means by that. Wearsby explains it this way. John was the herald of the king announcing the kingdom. Believers today are children of the kingdom. So you can see the difference in what Jesus is trying to see here. So I think Jesus was clearing up this confusion going on. The questioning going on with the people. I mean, look, John's in prison, right? So it's like, what, what, is he really a prophet then? Was, was John really, you know, the prophet to point out Jesus? What, was he really? Jesus is, is, is clearing that up. Well, maybe he's not the forerunner then. And, well, well, then maybe Jesus is not the Messiah. Or it's confusing. No, Jesus must be the Messiah. We see his works. But wait, why is John in prison? So you understand when expectations of what you think are not going the way you think and this, you know, all that stuff happening, disappointment will set in and then you know what usually comes the questioning, the questioning. And so that's what Jesus is addressing, this questioning of the people and maybe starting to doubt things. And did God really call John? He's in prison right now. Jesus clears it all up. He doesn't explain, well, why did God allow John to be in prison? He just says, no, he's the guy. <laughs> he is the guy. He's the forerunner. There's no question to who John is. So Jesus is saying this. How do you deal with the questioning in your mind? You know what? Look more at God's calling and not so much at the circumstances. Look more at God's calling and not so much the circumstances. You know what comes to my mind right away is the Apostle Paul, right? Remember how Paul ended up in prison because the, the manipulation and the accusations of the religious Jewish leaders. There, remember, if you're in the daily reading um, in the second year, or I guess it doesn't matter, first, second year, I'm in Acts, and it's going through that, going through the whole thing, how Paul got in into custody and in prison and all of that. And so, you know, because of what the Jewish leaders did and accusation and everything, you know, Paul's in prison right now. And we, and we know how then after, I've taught you guys, where the false teachers would come into the churches that Paul had planted when Paul's in prison. And then they come and say, hey, look, Paul, look at Paul. He's in prison. Would God put him in prison? Nah, he's not an apostle. You know what he wrote about that? That's not God. Let, let me tell you about God. Look, you know, God's blessing me. Look, see? Look at Paul, you know? So they use the circumstance of Paul in prison to say, ah, you know, that shows he's, he's not of God. So can you imagine the confusion then going on? Can you imagine the questioning of the people? Well, is Paul really from God? And what he's saying is a God and all of that, all of that, right? But we know, right? We know that actually God allowed these circumstances to send Paul to prison so that he would be able to appear before Caesar. I'm, we were reading, I was reading that part in Acts where he appealed to Caesar. And, and the governor and, and King Agrippa was saying, hey, if he didn't appeal to, to Caesar, we would have just let him go right now. But this was part of God's plan, and I believe Paul was able to be a witness not only in Caesar's household in the book of Philippians we know but also go before Caesar himself and share Jesus Christ so just because of the circumstances doesn't look like it should go and what we think it should go doesn't mean God's changed the calling so 
perhaps you're, you're in a place where things aren't going as you expected. Maybe what you thought would be, say, your place in life is not happening. What you thought maybe your ministry should be, or it's going too slow, or it stopped, or, 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 or you know, things aren't rolling like, like, like you think you sh- it should be going. Don't look at the circumstances, but hold to God's calling. If God has spoken to you, God has given you a word, a promise, a vision, you know what? Hold to that. Not, not the circumstances. Has God called you to work in a certain career or, or place? Has God called you to move to a certain area? Or has God called you maybe to be married one day? Or God called you to have a children or be a mother or a father or have a family? And you're not sure how that's going. Or maybe it's not going good and you're there and all that. And you're wondering, oh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe this, this isn't it. What has God spoken to you about? If he's shown you these things, if you're in this place, you know, trust God in his timing, in his way, his will. But know that what God has called you to do, asked you to do, what his will is, wherever you're, you're at right now, and you know God has originally placed you there, then trust him, even if the circumstances doesn't seem like it, it's going the way you thought it would go. So don't let those questions and the questioning bring doubt. Don't let that stop your prayers or your preparation. Don't, don't, don't let it take you off the path that God has you on right now. Don't get confused with the questioning, but look more at God's calling and not so much at the circumstance. That's what Jesus is doing here. And that's what we do with those broken expectations there. All right, we've seen the disappointment, the questioning, and lastly, the cynicism. The cynicism. And we're going to cover the rest of verses here, 29 through 35. But first, 29 and 30, it says, When all the people heard this and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. So in these two verses, uh, there's little parentheses that Luke puts in here. And basically, we see this comment on how the, when the people and even the tax collectors, right, the common people, which the Pharisees thought, oh, they're nothing, they're sinful, they don't have God's favor upon them. And then even tax collectors who are super low on the social ladder, according to the Pharisees, right? When they saw John, heard John, and responded to John, and they heard what he was saying, they declared God is just. In other words, they recognized what John was saying. That's from God. And that means they received it, right? They embraced it. And they basically saying, what he's saying is right, and we got to repent before God and turn to God and get baptized. So that's what Jesus is saying here. But then in verse 30, the Pharisees, though, the Pharisees and the lawyers, which is the scribes, uh, they were um, part of the Pharisee group too, these guys rejected the purpose of God for themselves. In other words, they rejected what God wanted them to do. That's what God, God wanted them to repent too. God wanted them to do what the people are doing, to listen to the word of God, see that it's God speaking, embrace it, go and repent of their sins and get baptized too. But they didn't want to do that. They, they rejected that. 
So the, basically, the Pharisee guys did not accept John's calling as the forerunner to Jesus Christ. Right? That, that's what's being said here. They, 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 you know, out of all the people who should have accepted John, what he was saying, and even Jesus, was the religious leaders here, the Jewish leaders, the Pharisee guys who, who prided themselves of knowing Scripture, right? Knowing the word. The lawyers were the experts of the law and of Scripture. They should have known. But they didn't like what was being said. They did not like what John was preaching against. They didn't like John treated them, you brood of vipers, you know. Oh, how dare you call us that we are holy men of God, you know, that type of thing. They did not like that. And because it went against their traditions, it went against their lifestyles, and they, they didn't like that. And so in their stubbornness, they missed what God was trying to say. So, then verse 31, Jesus says, To what then shall I compare the people of this generation? And what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you, you did not dance. We sang a dirge, you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine. And you say, he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. We'll stop there. So Jesus puts out this scenario, basically, making a comment, really, of these Pharisee guys. And he says, to what then shall I compare the people of this generation? So when he uses the word compare, the rabbis would use that word to say, well, let me give you this little picture this analogy here. And so, uh, let me give you this little analogy. I'll compare, let, well, how should I compare this generation? It's really speaking about this generation of Pharisees and religious leaders and probably including anyone who really didn't receive John. And so, you know what, you know what they're like? He says, they're like children sitting in the marketplace. And so, in the middle of the marketplace, this is where the kids would be playing. And basically, they would be playing like wedding and funeral. They pretend they're having a wedding, right? Or they pretend that there's a funeral going around. So that's why uh, Jesus is saying, they're like playing in the marketplace, and they call out to one another, hey, we played the flute for you. You did not dance. We had a wedding of celebration, but you didn't want to be part of that. Okay, well, then they had a funeral. We played a dirge, a funeral song, and you did not weep, like weeping, like pretending like, you know, someone had died. In other words, okay, we, we, we tried to be serious with you, but you didn't even join in on that. And so he brings that analogy to say, hey, John the Baptist, he came like eating no bread, you know. He ate locusts and wild honey, right? He, he was very uh, uh, particular in the food he eats, drinking no wine at all. And then you guys call him a demon. So here's John the Baptist. He comes on a scene super serious, right? These Pharisee guys, they would only eat certain things, right? In their traditions and laws. And, and they're super serious about the Word of God and everything like that. And, and how they do things, you know. And here's, here's John the Baptist, even more extreme, right? Oh, we don't like him. So what do they do? They start being critical and cynical. He has a demon. That's what's wrong with him. He has a demon. 
And then Jesus, so it's like, hey, it's like the kids playing funeral. He, they, uh, John comes real serious and, ah, you don't like that. And then the Son of Man, which is Jesus, has come eating and drinking. Like he, he comes more like, at a, like a wedding feast where you eat and, and you, you drink wine. Back then, remember, the wine was really watered down, so it's not like he's like drinking, drinking. But, you know, that was, that was like, you know, the, the drink of choice, you know, there. You know, oh, you know, he came he having a Coke and celebrating. Usually we'll have a Coke on special occasions now. But, but you, know, you know what I'm saying? So it was a special occasion. So he comes eating and drinking and go, oh, look at him, right? He's, he's just a partier. He, 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 he's a glutton. He drinks. He's a drunkard, right? He's a friend of those despicable tax collectors and sinners and all, everything like that, right? And, so, and, and you know, actually, uh, in another passage, th- the Pharisees actually accuse Jesus of having a demon in him too. <laughs> you're of Satan, you're, right? I mean, so crazy. So either way, God, how God tried to reach them, they rejected it. You know why? They didn't like what they said, calling them on their sin. Uh, uh, they, 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 were, they, they would basically deflect it back on Jesus and John. So Jesus is really bringing all this up to just expose, look, these guys, it's not so much an approach. It's not so much John or, or, or Jesus himself. Or oh, I'm not sure if I, I really you know, can accept what they're saying. No, there's something else going on. And so that's why in verse 35, our last verse, he says, Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. What's he saying here? Well, let, let's look at this on the side of the people the tax collectors that embrace John and Jesus. Wisdom, which means coming to Jesus, listening and accepting, repenting and accepting Jesus for who he is, is justified. Or it's proven, right, what is being said of John from John and Jesus to be true. So it's proved that they're from God. It's true because it's proved by all her children, the fruit of these changed and transformed lives. So the wisdom, the salvation that's being talked about, repentance, is justified. It's proved to be of God. How? By the change of life that is happening in their life. So the proof that Jesus and John is of God comes from those people you see who have responded to the word and turned their life around. That's what Jesus is saying. But the same is true in the opposite way. And I believe this is really the emphasis of what Jesus is bringing out here. The same is true in, in the cynicism of the Pharisees. And they're real critical and they're, ah, yeah, you know, kind of talk. It's revealed. Why? Because their flawed wisdom, oh, we don't want that. We're going to stick to our traditional ways, came this children of this fruit of cynicism, rejection toward Jesus and John. So all this is say the cynical rejection of the Pharisees only show really their heart. That, that, that's what Jesus is saying here. They just wanted to do what they wanted to do. That's all. Yeah. It wasn't so much, well, I don't know if what John is saying, I don't believe, or, or oh, Jesus, I still got to figure this out. No. They rejected because they, they were stubborn. They're offended because they're, they're, they were really uh, uh, calling them out for their wrongs. 
but they really just wanted to do what they wanted to do. Remember um, in Luke chapter 6, verse 45, we went over this, but it says, Jesus said, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil, for out of the abundance of his heart his mouth speaks. So wisdom, what you believe, is going to come out in the fruit, right, in what is produced in your children. So with this focus on the Pharisees. Remember, we, we focused on, on uh, um, like John's doubt, the people's questioning. And now it's the cynicism of the Pharisees. Jesus, Jesus is really addressing this. And, and I think it speaks to us today. How do we deal with that? Because sometimes our disappointments, our broken expectations, we, we, those disappointments will turn into that questioning. But then sometimes the questioning is cynicism. But sometimes the cynicism really, is because, bottom line, we don't want to do what we want to do. Yeah? So how do you deal with the cynicism of your heart? You look more closely at what God is trying to say and not look for what you're wanting to hear. That, they didn't want to hear that. They didn't want to hear it from John. They didn't want to hear it from, from Jesus. You know? They didn't want, want to hear those things. So, so they're rejecting it because it didn't line up with what they want. It's just like what I said earlier you know, about people going around and looking for uh, what they want to hear in, in that way. We cannot be like that, just doing what we want. So we only want to hear what we want to hear. And, and then because we're, we're just wanting that, we're going to reject what's really invalidly God. And you know what? That turns you into a cynic. It turns you into being critical. Oh, yeah, you know that guy. Yeah, I don't, I don't like him, you know, because he says this. Oh, yeah, yeah, you know. And you're not really listening, right? You're not really listening to the issues. I mean, think about today. There's so many opinions of so many things with the virus and Christians and their view and uh, masks and doctors and all these things. But, you know, I, I tell you guys, be careful, yeah? Because sometimes we approach things not with the open mind, but with only one mind, right? Ah, if, if, if that person of what, how you feel says what you like, then, oh, yeah, that guy, he's right. Yeah, listen to him, he's right. And then you just disregard everything that everyone else says, yeah? But I believe we, we should be open, you know? Find out yourself, you know. Look at both sides. But in that same sense, we need to go to God and say, okay, God, this is how I feel. This is how I think. But I don't want to just hear what I want to hear. Yeah? I don't want to read a book and, oh, yeah, this is, that's exactly it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then disregard something else, you know. We, or even Scripture. We do that with Scripture, right? People come to Scripture and go, oh, yeah, I read this. See? But then they take the Scripture out of context or or they just pull one thing and to validate what they want. Again, we have to be careful because this is the Pharisees. They just wanted to hear what they wanted to hear. And that's what Jesus is saying. You can't please them. Why? Because they don't really believe. They just want that one thing. And we don't want to be like that. We don't want to be. And so that cynicism can come from this expectation, and when it's not there because you want to hear what you want to hear, watch out, watch out. I'll close with this. Um, there was a man stranded on the, 
the roof of his house during a rising flood, and someone in a canoe came and yelled out, Get in, get in. The man yelled, No, God will save me. Then someone else came in a motorboat and yelled, Jump in, jump in. The man yelled, No, God will save me. Then a helicopter flew in, stopped right over him. They threw down a rope ladder, and the rescuer yelled, Climb up, climb up. The man said, No, God will save me. Well, sadly, the flood rose, the storm got worse, and the man ended up drowning and died. When he stood before God, the man asked, Lord, how come you didn't come and save me? And the Lord replied, what do you want from me? I sent you a canoe, a boat, and a helicopter. (laughs) Let us not miss what God is trying to say, trying to do in our lives. Let him do what he wants. Let's not demand what we want. You know, let, don't let these things, what you want, what you want to hear, your stuff, you, you, you know, get in the way of what God is really doing in your life. So let's deal as, with these things, these disappointments, these the discouraging circumstances, the, 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 sometimes the confusion, uh, information we get and all. Let's deal with it as Jesus taught us. Let's, let's, let's go to God. And be open to the Lord. And then we can handle those broken expectations. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you and we just want to lay before you our broken expectations, Lord. And, and we're sorry, God. Forgive us for being demanding sometimes and angry and upset and even discouraged towards you, Lord. God, we have to trust in you like we talked about Sunday that all things work together for good to those who love God and call according to his purposes. And God, we, we want to be those people. We want to be your children and trust in you and that no matter, even if you told us something, you gave us a vision, you set us on a mission, you called us to do something, Lord, that no matter what, when, they, when it doesn't work out like the way we think, that we don't just give up, Take another path. Quit. Lord, help us. And wherever you place us, whether it's work or or in our families or our ministry, whatever that is, God, help us to be that minister or serve you where you want us to serve or or stay at that work in a hard situations, God, to to do what you want us to do, to, to continue to be that father or a mother, Lord, and not... Not just give up, Lord, in the hard relational things that happen. But Lord, let us trust you in it all that. Even when we may be disappointed, discouraged, confused, Lord, questioning, wondering what's going on, Lord. We don't want to be like the Pharisees and become all cynical and critical. But we want to give it all to you. And we we want to hear from you, God. Not what we want to hear. But we want to hear your voice, Lord. God, you are Lord God, sovereign over our lives. So, God, we give all of our expectations to you. We just want what you want, Lord. And when the pieces don't fit, when, the, well, when they don't come together like we think they should, God, we want to leave that in your hands and know that you have it all in control. So, Lord, we want to live this life for you. We want to give this life for you. And we want to dedicate 
all to you, no matter what. Disappointment, unmet expectations, God, we lay down at your feet, Lord, as we just offer up, God, everything we are to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand.